Oh, yeah. Pockets out. Actually, I didn't even think of what jeans to wear today to come up here and do that, and I was like ripping the <laughs> threads out. Anyway, uh, great look there. Great video. Thanks, Jaden, for putting that together. Uh, we're going to talk for a month about the reality of the, our world and that we're strapped. But one of the most interesting things is we don't know, we don't realize that God's desire and plan for us is to be an indescribable gift. So we're going to look at this concept of an indescribable gift. God has a vision of people being uh, grateful beyond your imagination because of your generosity, your God, your obedience, and we're going to kind of unpack this a little bit today on Super Bowl Sunday. Thanks for coming out. And uh, you could have made it an all-day deal, but you have priorities and you're here. That's huge. That's amazing. I decided to represent the person I think should have been Rookie of the Year. But anyway, I, uh, uh, I mean, this guy is stand up. You're like, who's this guy? There's this guy who plays on a team. It's in Seattle. His name's Russell Wilson. Anyway, yeah, great quarterback, great human being, and uh, pretty fun to, to, I'm excited to see the commercial I guess he's in today. At least he gets a commercial during the Super Bowl, so that'll be huge. Um, how can we fulfill the vision of God to be an indescribable gift? That's what we're going to look at today, but we need to start with perspective and ultimately getting a correct view of ourselves in a perspective of the world we live in. If I asked you just casually in conversation if uh, you were rich, most of us in this room would probably say, nah, no. no. Uh, I know my wife would after paying bills yesterday. I saw the look on her face when she was cutting some of those uh, checks. She would definitely not say we're rich. And, uh, you know, so you just kind of look at the aspects of this question, but the re in perspective, if we take the correct perspective and we look at ourselves through the lens that the, the, the world allows us to look at ourselves through, we're rich. So turn to somebody next to you and encourage them today by telling them they're filthy rich. Just say, you are filthy rich. Filthy rich. Yeah, see, you can, you can have 20 bucks in your pocket and go to the thrift store and uh, buy some. Anyway, there's a song. Never mind, it's really bad. Um, uh, so before we jump into this text today, let's get the correct perspective, the truth about how we're truly rich. There's this website out there, and it's called, don't put it up yet, don't put the image up yet, it's called the... Uh, um, global rich list. Have you guys ever like peeked at it this week? Jaden and I were having a Twitter conversation back and forth, and if you stalk us, you might have clicked on it. No stalkers. Okay, anyway, we were uh, uh, talking about this site, and, and it's very interesting because you can go into this site and put in your income, your annual income, and it'll tell you what number you are in the world of, of wealth and in and, and the rich list. Now, here's what's funny, though. Uh, when you do this and you put your, your uh, number in there, you do have to take, I kind of wanted to go in the back end to figure out how they do it. And, and it's actually, if any of you try to track data, they usually are using like five-year-old data. 
because that's what's most accurate. So it is 1.6 billion people ago, but it's still pretty cool to know where you fall on the list. So you can punch your number in. So, so that I don't, uh, uh, you know, I, I offend anyone by just grabbing an income, I thought I would be accurate. According to the 2011 statistic based off of the census, Bonnie Lake's average income, I took a three-mile radius from Target's address, and it literally calculates an accurate income for Bonnie Lake. The average household income would be $68,740. That's in 2011. So if you input that number into the global rich list, or some call it the rich the richometer, uh, it, here's the results. So you can you can kind of see them for yourself. You would be number fifty one million seven hundred fifty two thousand eight hundred thirty two on the list. That makes you in the top point eight six percent of the globe. So see the little people on the bottom. That, like, the red person moves when you put different incomes in, that's you all the way on the most, the richest, most richest. (laughs) That's good English, isn't it? On the richest side of that, it puts you on the right. So, you are the 1%, right? It's like, if you want to stick it to the man, you got to look at yourself in the mirror because you demand. You know, it's like, oh, great, what do I do with this information? Um... You're in the top 51 million. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. Most of the blogs that refer to this list, they use this list as like a pride builder. It's ridiculous, the wording you'll find, whether it's the Washington Journal or New York Times, whatever it is. I was reading all these blogs, and, and they all use this to say, see how rich we are? But honestly, what I look at when, when I look at this image is the sheer number of people. And what's really sad, as I started putting in different numbers, just experimenting, like the average income of people in Indonesia, where we're going on a missions trip. In, in Indonesia, Sarabaya, Indonesia, Indonesia, the average uh, annual income is $3,900. $3,900 annual income. And so, Punching that in, that's still like top 14% of the world. There's extreme poverty, and we're extremely rich. No question about it. In finances, you're rich. In physical monetary worth, you are the richest in the world. Now, let's take the U.S., a little bit different story when you take a picture of the U.S., the median income in the U.S. is, is 25000 So again, Bonnie Lake area, very high on the average. We're like nearing the top. We're probably top 15% within the U.S. But you look at these averages, you know, uh, top 10% are 87000 and above. 5%, 120000 and above. And this is in the U.S., not the richest country in the world, but one of them. So you just, I I look at these statistics and I'm like, your pockets might be empty, but you're still rich. 
If your pockets are empty, it's not because you're poor. It's because of the choices and the lifestyle. And the, Does that make sense? Some of us are poor at a higher level. Others are poor because that's their, their life. It's not a lifestyle. It's a life. So what is Jesus teaching in Scripture to those of us who truly have the opportunity right in front of us for like true riches? What is he teaching us? What, what can we do with this vast amount of wealth that we've been blessed with? First Timothy 6 says this in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything with everything for our enjoyment. It's, it's, it's not bad that we enjoy the things that our wealth affords. So we don't have, this is not in any way a guilt series. This series is an encouragement series as you'll hear in the next verse, to live a life that's like truly life. This is a series to give you practical insight as to what God teaches us about surviving the world we live in, this spend-all world. So verse 18 says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Talked about that last week, that sharing thing. In this way, They will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Listen up, rich people. Take hold of the life that is truly life. That phrase should just resonate in your brain and be something you come back to often when finances are involved. Don't let the standards of this world rob you from truly living. The pleasures brought to you by living in pace with the wealth measurement of comparative living are fleeting at best. And as we have just observed on this rich list, we have a very false reality of true, the true impact we can make in the world around us. So let me tell you a story, and in no way do I want to offend anybody who's in this same category? But I just, from our perspective, I have to tell you this story because it just, it, it was a big deal in the Huff home on the 10th birthday of my daughters. Uh, so my children come home and recount a recent story involving like the spend all world that we're in uh, from school distorted by their perspective and, and what they were trying to leverage as a birthday gift, I'm sure. But anyway, they were sharing with us this, this story and, uh, about this after-school program they do on Monday. And uh, they, they're in choir at school, and so they stay after and uh, uh, school for an hour and, and, and do choir, and they love music. So they are, are in choir and in choir, everybody, all the kids have already packed up from their classes. They have their backpacks with them and stuff, and they they uh, set them somewhere in the classroom. And during the classroom, a phone begins to ring in a backpack, and the teacher of this classroom uh, says to them, "If if this is the story we're told, 
By the way, I did confirm the story with the teacher, so I was like freaked out that it's truly real. Anyway, uh, the, uh, they, they said that a phone rang, and the teacher said, if, that's, if you have a phone in your back, can you make sure it's on silent? And every student in that room except for our daughters went to their backpacks. Talk about peer pressure. Talk about social. Ten years old. My girls weren't even ten at the time. They're nine. They're th- we're talking elementary students. I don't even know what all grades are allowed to be in the choir. Does the teacher know back there? Fourth and fifth grade. So I confirmed the story with the teacher. Anyway, um, they, uh, you know, fourth and fifth graders. The rooms fall fourth and fifth. They all had cell phones. So anyway, needless to say, when our girls asked for cell phones, for their birthday, we didn't necessarily comprehend the social pressure behind the ask. Like, that's a pretty strong social pressure, right? So how it meant, and this is what the tension we're all dealing with in some way, shape, or form in our world around us. They're experiencing that as children with not even the cognitive reality of really being able to process what to do with this pressure. They just know they're the only ones that don't. But how do we teach them in this, this reality True wealth. For us, we're going to try to raise a stinking lot of money and go on a mission trip to Indonesia and show them what true poverty looks like and the reality of the world. Give them a real perspective of what the world is facing. And uh, with the weight of this, this on their shoulders and the powerful force of this on their shoulders, we want to build within them still a mindset of living a life that's truly life. Not saying those with phones aren't, but here's the deal. We can barely afford to pay our cell phone bill. There's no way we can add them to a cell phone bill. And you feel bad for them, and you look at the pressure they're facing, and you're like, oh. honestly, you say this as a parent, you're like, my kids are those kids. Oh, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I wonder if my parents ever said that. I wonder if my parents were ever like, man, I don't want to sew patches on this kid's jeans. I want to buy him a new pair, but I got to sew patches. That would make me understand that much more why I had like knitted patches on my jeans. It wasn't cool, but my mom said it was. You know what I'm saying? Mom, I love you if you're listening to this message. Okay, anyway. Um, 2 Corinthians, before I dig a hole. 9. 6 through 15, big section of Scripture, but you got to check this out because it's so God's, God's heart. There's a lot of God's heart in the text today that we're looking at. It's on your handout, I believe. Verse 6 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. If you were planting seed, that would make total sense, right? Obviously, plant more seed, you're going to have more seed grow, plant less seed, you're going to have less seed grow. Here we go, verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make this grace, uh, or all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies need, or seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest 
of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in the prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God, listen to this, for his indescribable gift. What's that gift? The generous. His indescribable gift. Do you want to live in the top 1% of people in the world in financial wealth alone, or do you want to be made rich in every way? I think you can do both. How would you like to take the steps to be God's incredible gift to the world? I think we do. That's why you have points on your paper. So here we go. The first step to be God's indescribable gift is be generous on every occasion. Right there in our text. You can't, I mean, it's no-brainer. You can fill in all these blanks. Be generous on every occasion. Interesting content there in that passage says, generosity is the mark of obedience accompanying your confession of the gospel. It's a mark of obedience accompanying your confession of the gospel. He doesn't want you to give out of compulsion or reluctance or any of that stuff. I look at that and I go, interesting, because the statistic is so skewed, ultimately. Did you know that the most recent statistics say if somebody makes a decision to choose to follow Jesus, that it is statistically 26 months later that they take the step to begin tithing, giving 10% of their income to the church. Even though it's taught throughout, Jesus teaches more on wealth and money than love, it takes 26 months for them to take that next step of obedience. As we'll read in the Scripture, money and the heart are closely tied together. And so really giving that surrender of the heart. When we started Open Life three years ago, the statistic was it takes 18 months. So like it's gotten, it's gotten eight months worse, right? I hope we're not a part of that stat. But anyway, I was just going, oh my goodness, this is interesting. We don't want that to be true for open life because we do have a value that says we're generous. So like it would definitely be more of an aspirational value versus true. I think we are generous and we're known for generosity in the community. But are we being generous? Are we truly surrendered? I think the church is not fully funded because we're not fully living in obedience according to this Scripture. And I say church as a whole, like the global church. Maybe we have not made the teachings of biblical stewardship easy enough to grasp, or it could be that we're just full-on in rebellion or denial. This is what I think I think our perspective is off. When, when we get to those passages and we're saying, hey, listen to me, you rich, you know, like it's tune out because it's like, I'm not rich. Look at my bank account. The balance says, you know, and you're like, so you just don't listen. But the reality is we are rich. You have a, you have a bank account. 
right? We're rich. We no longer have the luxury of this excuse of just tuning it out. We know we're rich, undeniably rich, and we need to live in right relationship with those riches. As a pastor says throughout Scripture, I'm held accountable for preaching like everything in the Bible. I can't avoid this subject. Some, some churches do. Some churches have closed because they never preached on that topic, and obviously, eventually, they couldn't pay their bills. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we taught this last week. It's interesting. It says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus giving the great commission to his disciples. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So we're not just supposed to teach some of the things that Jesus has commanded. We're supposed to teach them all. I can echo the, the feelings of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the Corinthians. He was challenging generosity on every occasion, but with a spirit of gratefulness. Um, through us, your generosity will resolve in, result in thanksgiving to God. This is, this is the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church isn't to try to get people to give to it, and so we can have a big bank account. No. The purpose of the church and you giving to the church faithfully how God commands us so more glory can come to God, that we can do more in community, locally and globally, for the mission of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Obviously, we've made choices to be even more generous. We meet in a school instead of a building. Why? It's a fraction of the cost. And the money that we give towards the school goes right back into the school district. We used to meet for three times the cost of this facility in the Regal Theater. And that money went to somewhere in Colorado. And so it was even a missional choice of ours to go from the Regal, which is pretty comfy seats, honestly, and pretty good acoustics for music and stuff, but, you know, to, to go to a school environment which does every once, if you're standing up here and talking, sounds a little like you're at Quest Field, but I think I could still sing the Star Spangled Banner without a track. Anyway, uh, so there's the realities that we deal with are, are, are interesting, but we make choices to be more generous instead of live as if we're on that side of the scale versus that side of the scale. We've got, we're all making choices in order to bring glory and thanksgiving to God. So what did Jesus teach in order for us to become an indescribable gift to the world? Point two, your generosity is only possible with God. You're being generous. The only way that's going to be possible is if God inspires it. Because in the natural, there's no way we're going to do it. So check this out again. Laced with the most important point of today, let's read a story. Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice that word, inherit. Some say the reason he uses this word is because he himself had received an incredible inheritance. So, uh, Let's just imagine like modern day, a Hilton, 
Maybe I've just picked someone, right? Okay, so here we go. A Trump, a Hilton, I don't know. Somebody who's going to get a huge inheritance. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, uh, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. There's some amazing truths contained in this passage, and we could study just this passage for the remainder of our time But what I want us to see in him teaching this person who probably inherited wealth how to be generous, knowing that that was his struggle because he's man, but yet he's God, Jesus, he sets up the foundation of his instruction, which should just challenge us when we study subjects like finances and stewardship. The basis of his instruction is love. Jesus, in verse 21 of that passage, looked at him and loved him. Just jot that somewhere on the side of your handout, because we need to be reminded of that when we're struggling with what God is asking of us, or maybe we're feeling a nudge to do something we've never done before to follow Jesus. In his generosity principles, we should realize that his motivation for us behind what he's asking us throughout his text is love. He doesn't want to take what's left. He doesn't want to make you be just angry at giving. That's not his heart. Jesus was not out to scold the wealthy or make someone feel rejected to prove a point. Jesus saw through the lens of love. Jesus was also not out to teach that the poor were better than the rich. Not at all. God has a special place for the poor. He, he has a special place for the unjust and injustice. But Jesus was teaching that discipleship is costly. And wealth, if unsurrendered to God, made for an incredibly huge hindrance in following Jesus. Jesus' instruction to the young man was not universal. It was not a command that all of us have to give up everything we have and, and be poor and wear nothing but like sackcloth and follow Jesus. You know, it's like, I'm going to make all my clothes out of canvas. You know, it's not the goal in this passage. It 
uh, Jesus was not looking down on his wealth, but was attaching purpose to it. He wasn't looking down on his wealth. He was attaching purpose to it. At the time of this challenge, the Jewish view of riches was actually that it was in divine proportion to your favor from God. Listen to these passages. Uh, Job 1.10, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land, right? Physical wealth. That was property, was wealth back then. Job 42.10 says, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again gave him twice as much as he had before. So do we want to like just, if somebody gets a a bonus that's twice their annual salary, are they the evil one? No. We're the man too, remember? We're the 1%, so it's like pick it ourselves. You know, you can't do that. uh, Psalm 128, 1 and 2 says, Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Isaiah 3.10, tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. So, fruit and prosperity and wealth, God, God through the wealthy had always encouraged provision to the poor and special protection over them, which leads us into our third point. Be content with your portion. Be content with your portion. What if we've well, I don't know. The development of these disciplines in the coming weeks as we unfold them, what if we could build a true posture of contentment with, with where God has placed us? What if we could be content with our rich position, because we're rich, right? And start adding to our riches the greatest riches, like riches in, of every kind. If we're not content, we might be robbed of riches, And there is a war going on for our focus. Listen to these two passages. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's echoed in 1 Timothy 6.6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Many is not, money is not the great evil. I think there's been misteachings of that over the years. It says there, money is a evil. It's not the evil. Money is a root. It's one of many roots that distract us from our relationship with Jesus. They can hinder us. It can become a fog, if you will. Jesus taught his disciples in Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Just realizing that when we're just chasing financial riches and that's our entire pursuit, often we make choices to do that instead of grow our relationship with Jesus. It can be disastrous if we don't have balance. So, do you hate the thought of being commanded to tithe? Or do you love the thought of what generosity can bring people through your sacrifice? That together, or as the Scripture says, through us, we can do incredible things. But individually, we might not be able to become an indescribable gift if we're what Scripture calls tight-fisted. Listen to these, these passages about being tight-fisted. Deuteronomy 15, 7 says, If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Psalm 69, 32-33, The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy, and does not despise the captive people. We're made rich above our content living level so that we can share in the wealth that God gives us. My, my dream, honestly, has been to give 50% of my income away. That's just been like my goal. Some people's goal is to tithe someday. I just want to someday reach 10%. But I've been just, I really, because there's a certain level that I'm like, what else do I need? I want to give that away. And, uh, and so there's that contentment level. Um, we're, we're still working towards that. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, this, I could sit right next to you and go, yeah, I'm not quite to that contentment level yet. You know, there's, there's times when we're just like, oh, no, Whew, that's a big bill, right? And, uh, but the, the reality is, boy, if we could just get there, well, the first step is tithing. When with, if our hand is closed in generosity, we're probably, if, if we're tight-fisted, we're probably using some of what God in, intended to go to someone else for ourselves, and we're in wrong relationship with our finances. I don't believe, because you might hear these and go, man, he's like a big fan of this administration, right? Uh, while I love those in authority over me, I am not a big distribution of wealth guy, uh, and, and I don't think that's what God is teaching. I think God is teaching that the, our overflow should be enormous, not our entire flow. You can't legislate generosity. Again, God said we shouldn't do it with a reluctant or compelled heart, but with a cheerful heart. We should be sharing with the needs around us. Kind of lose the reward of obedience if we have to give. And... Uh, I do believe God wants to prosper us so that we can be generous, not prosper us so that we can have to be generous. Generosity means that our lifestyle doesn't determine our giving, but giving determines our lifestyle. Let me read that again. Our lifestyle doesn't determine our giving, but giving determines our lifestyle. Let your life be 
an indescribable gift. Live a life that is truly life. That's what this series is about. We're not going to ask you to to give more. We're not going to ask you to do something crazy. We're not making a special financial appeal. We're just teaching what the Word teaches on finances. God loves you enough to ask for a portion in keeping with your income of the money that comes through you. It's love for you because it keeps you grounded. It it keeps you dependent on His provision. It depends on God, right? We can't do it without Him. It keeps you content to be generous. And in the next three weeks, we're going to uncover all kinds of stuff. And we, we just want to be so practical that we can grasp it. And uh, so I'm excited about this series. I think we all, at, in some way, shape, or form, feel overspent, strapped, stressed in the area of finances. It's the number one topic of conversation amongst people. Uh, it's just interesting to me. And in our journey of faith, our perspective changes. And when we move towards obedience, it's such an amazing moment. And I can't wait for us to celebrate what God is doing in you and through you. So becoming a truly indes- indescribable gift to the world through your obedience to God is our goal in the next three weeks. So to be continued, now you have to come back. Let's pray. God, your word really stretches us at times. And um, for a lot of us, even looking at the, the census, it showed that the average income of our community went down over $10,000 a household in the last few years. That's like felt in a big way. And uh, we consider ourselves financially stressed at times, but yet when we really look at the world we live in, if we could open our eyes past even our own wealthy country, the need Somebody just wants a drink of water within a day. Somebody just needs, they're hoping for one meal. And that, in perspective, is absolutely ridiculous to grasp. And God, I pray that you could stir within us, what's our contentment level? Can we really surrender ourselves to you and depend on you for our finances? I'll never forget the moment I did that in my life and the transformation of peace that came into my world because I was swimming in debt. And God, you blessed me to bring me out of it. I give you all the glory, and I pray that others in this room can discover freedom as we deal with issues of debt, as we deal with, like, what really are you asking of us? And as we deal very practically in the coming weeks, I pray that you can stir health in us in a spend-all world. And we give you all the glory for what you're challenging us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.